now. Now it's on, okay. Next time you tell me my mic is muted, mute it back there before I unmute it here because nobody wants to hear me singing, okay? I tell you what, we need to hire better help back there. Oh, it's a great day. Glad that you're here. We've got to get that out of the way, don't we? Boy, that, those two notes that I sang sounded really good, though, didn't they? Oh, come on. Anyway. It is a great day, and I'm glad that you're here today. It's no surprise to most any of us what day of the year it is. And occasionally that this holiday, if you will, falls upon a Sunday, and it kind of makes it a, a unique and a kind of special day in that regard. I don't know about you, for sure. I've got an idea. I'm frankly, in the words of the song, I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be alive, and I don't mean arrogantly, so I mean proud in the sense of thankful, thankful for the blessing of being a part of this country. I'm thankful for the things that have brought us to this point today. I'm thankful for the sacrifices that have been made. If you think about that 245 years ago when those men signed that document and began to set things in motion that brought about the Revolutionary War in which so many died, another war with England followed shortly after that. Then there was a conflict within the country, and a civil war was fought. There were skirmishes and fights and small wars around the world. The Spanish-American War. World War I then. World War II. Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, you name it. We recognize conflicts that have taken place where we have sent our soldiers, or soldiers have fought even on our own country for our own country. We believe in the way of life. We believe in the opportunity. Are we a perfect people? Absolutely not. Do we have perfect leaders? Absolutely not. Are our laws perfect? Absolutely not. But we are a people who believe in our opportunity, who believe in ourselves. Do other people in other countries feel somewhat the same way? I'm sure they do. But I am thankful to be a part of this country. I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful to stand up. I'm going to still put my hand over my heart as we sing the Star Spangled Banner or say the Pledge of Allegiance. I still believe in the country with its shortcomings, with its differences, with its divisions. We are still the American people, I believe, and I still want us to be that. I say that this morning not to offer you a political speech. And don't infer something from it that's not in there. I just love this country. I was born in this country, as many of most of us probably were, some maybe not. But I've loved being a part of this country for the so many years, however many it is, years so far, and I believe I'll live and die as a part of this country. I'll die when that day comes. Maybe later today, who knows. But I want to think about how precious how precious the unity of a nation is. I call this lesson the United Nation, not to be confused with the United Nations, but the United Nation. I draw off of a thought that's in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, especially verse 3, talks about the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. If you read with me from Ephesians chapter 4, the first six verses there says, I therefore, Paul, 
I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, gentleness, and with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Don't you love the ones? The idea of unity is one of the most beautiful concepts when it's understood that can be imagined. The harmony of a people pulling together, reaching together, drawing together, with mutual appreciation for one, one another is the finest piece of artwork that you could find, finer than any art that you'll find in any museum. I think we love the idea of unity, harmony, tied together. A not some young woman came to visit me with a request one day. She told me that she was ready to leave her home the home that she and her husband had established. She was unhappy. They were divided, and she wanted out. They had everything to be together for and nothing to be apart for, and yet she wanted out. This couple to me was a picture of disunity in progress. Fortunately, we were able to pull them back together but there was no bond of peace at home. Yes, there was still some writing on a certificate that had been recorded that said they were married. There were some beautiful children that they had had together that tied them together. There were years in which they had lived under the same roof and been a part of one another's lives, in which they had shared their bank accounts, in which they had been a part of one another in so many ways. And yet there was no bond of peace in the home. I think sometimes we can be in the same place but not have that bond. I think we can claim the unity of the Spirit and not really live it. I don't mean to sound down upon that, but sometimes as I reflect upon even the, the status of the secular world, we wonder, can we ever become one people? Can we really ever be together? But honestly, I believe the greater importance is that we be unified as one nation before the Lord and under the Lord. For I think one of the foremost desires that the Lord had was that his people be one. When you go to John 20, you recognize the words of Jesus, that you be one as the Father and I are one. He wanted that unity. We sang it a little while ago. The idea that we are one, we are tied together, we are a part of one another. Jesus longed for that same unity in his followers that he had with the Father and his same heart that calls upon Paul to write in the passage we've just read and talk about the oneness of the Lord and the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that's there. And while we live, we do live in a time that celebrates its diversity, our different backgrounds, our different heritages, our different races, our different educations, and, and all of the things that make us who we are distinctly and uniquely. It may be that we need to hear, in the midst of all of that, we need to hear again the need for the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. This is no denial of differences. This is no denial of opinions or individuality. It is a reckoning of the power that is had by the union of even vastly different people for a common cause, a common hope, a common faith. And developing that unity among ourselves and with one another requires that we desire it. Let me offer to you some thoughts. Let me offer to you some thoughts in this for just a little while, if I could. For if we look at the scriptures, we recognize there is a unity of spirit that is there. Paul ties it with the word one. There is one, there is one, there is one. He's emphasizing the idea of the unity of the spirit through the internal nature that is a part of us and what ties us to God and the one God and Father who is above all, in you all, through you all. Paul ties it with the use of one. But if you notice and you read your scriptures, as we encourage ourselves to do, the Holy Spirit and the very nature of God is always addressed in a singular nature. Yes, there are many spirits. Even in our Bible class this morning, we talked about the casting out of evil spirits. There are many spirits, and some have an evil nature in them. But James says, even the spirits believe and tremble. James 5, verse 19. We can go to Mark 5, Luke 7, even Acts 19. And the multiplicity of evil spirits and the actions that they had upon people, causing them to do and to be things, whether it was the, the overwhelming man that was in the land of the Gadarenes, or whether it's the one that follows Paul and his, and his compatriots around, telling who they are. Or the spirit that Jesus would meet in the synagogue, claiming who he was. We recognize there are spirits and evil spirits that have been around at times. We don't always understand it in our time and our place, but we recognize the reality of it. There were many, but there is a specific spirit that is a part of God. We speak of the Holy Spirit. And we have probably a very poor, I think we probably have a very poor concept of that spirit. Jesus talks about him as being a comforter in John 16, and that who is going to come, and it would guide them into all truth and so forth. But he is not separate from the Father. He is not distinct in that sense. It is a part of the Father, a part of God, a part of the Godhead as he is. And while unity require, does not require that there be one physical being, that there is one being requires that there be a unity. We cannot have within ourselves a schizophrenia of spirit. There is a spirit that is a part of us. We understand that when we are baptized into Christ, we receive, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We are marked by him. We become a part of him. We become a part of God in that regard. People often want to question exactly what that means, and their people have different ideas about exactly what that means. But the meaning of it is less important than the fact that it is of us and we of him because of that. It draws us together into one nature, one nature that is in him. One spirit ties us to one message of one God and all the things that transverse out of that. So I'm trying to say to you is the oneness, the unity that has to be there. If we are not united of that same nature, that same spirit, that comes out in that same attitude about who and what he is and what we do, we're missing an understanding of God and we're trying to divide God and separate him. 
So to us, it means that there is that common faith, that common thing that we believe and we share together. The faith that Jude says is once for all delivered. That Peter tells us and reminds us, drawing from Isaiah, that it is the word of the Lord and it endures forever. Or even in this very passage, the word of the Lord and that common faith that we have. It is also a common mind that our thinking be tied together for the same purpose, the same drive, and the same opportunity. Paul begged of the church in Corinth that they be of the same mind and the same judgment, verse 10 of chapter 1 of the 1 Corinthian letter. It is, it means to us to have a shared mind. Are we always in absolute agreement? Do we always agree with everything that is said? No. Some of you know you've been married a long time. Some of you that have been married a long time recognize, and some of you haven't been married more than two weeks, you recognize that you have different thoughts from the person with whom you share your life and share your home. Do children that grow up in a home always share the exact same thoughts as their parents? No, they don't. But we can still have that common source of mind, that common judgment that strives for the best within, that very nature that seeks above all God and his word, his kingdom. Wasn't that what Jesus said? Seek first what? The kingdom of God. Didn't we sing that? Yes. We have that commonality of that. We also have a common direction of life. The thing that we share to make it through life and the direction we're going with life. As we run the race that is set before us, my race may be slightly different from yours, but aren't we running the same track to the same place for the same opportunity to the same end? Isn't that right? I believe that's right in that. Thus we are a unified body of believers, at least in concept. The practice becomes another thing, but that's what we are called to do. That we strive to maintain that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It rises above the self-importance we place on our own desires, our own inclinations, and our own means. So endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit requires of us to be and to do some things, doesn't it? It challenges us. It's just like being a part of any group or any family calls upon us to take, undertake some actions that work for the benefit not only of ourselves but the others who are a part of that. Endeavoring to keep. God's already got it. Will we get it? Will we keep it? Maintaining something that already exists. And we know that anything that is given to us, when we're a part of anything, we share anything or we, we own anything. There's a certain amount of maintenance, a keeping that's involved in it, whether it's a house or a car or children, even a dog. We recognize we must endeavor to keep in that regard. So what are we to do? How do we? How can we? I think about that. Think about how we may, we may work or endeavor to keep or to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There's some things we need to do and be. It's just pretty simple in our lives. It's about our thinking and whether we will. But there's some things we, we need to not have. Don't let ignorance govern your life. Avoid ignorance. Just want to, I started to say, is anybody in here ignorant? Put up your hand. Don't do it. Anybody in here ignorant? Yes. We'd all have to put up our hands, wouldn't we? We'd have to because there are things we don't know. I had a friend that used to come up to me sometimes. He'd say, Rush, you know what I don't know? Oh, no, he'd say, you know what, I don't understand. I'm sorry, I don't want to misquote him. You know what, I don't understand? I'd say, what? He'd say, Russian. Now, it was a joke, and it was a silly joke at that. Wasn't even a very good joke, so you don't have to laugh. But 
it goes into the idea there's still things we don't know. I don't care how far along you are in your journey. There's still things that are yet to know, things that are yet to learn in that regard. Avoid ignorance. Not knowing leaves us without the ability to make the best choices that we can have in our lives. We need to know some things. We need to draw upon these things. Paul says to some who are questioning what happens after we die or whether we die before Christ comes again in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. They didn't understand, and so he offers them some understanding in that regard. And let me add quickly, I think most of the time divisions are a result of ignorance. The result of ignorance, an ignorant approach to yourself and an ignorant approach to others as well. And quite often it relates to becoming stubbornness or to just simply a lack of knowledge and I just won't budge. So avoid ignorance because ignorance often gives way to something else we don't want to have. That's arrogance. Don't be arrogant in your life. We like to be confident in our knowledge. We like to know some things. I think most any of us like to say, I want to know what's right. I want to confirm what I know to be right. But sometimes we graduate to, I already know what's right attitude, and the attitude that doesn't allow for room for growth, doesn't allow for the right to consider and understand that somebody else just might know a little bit more than we know about things. As the old gunfighter might tell you, there's always somebody a little bit faster. And that's the guy you don't want to face, but... There's always somebody a little bit faster. You know, being right is not always the end of the matter. It's not always the end of the matter. It's being able to bring someone carefully to understand. To understand, that's got to be included. As Peter very carefully worded about this hope that's in us and encouraging us to be ready to answer anyone. 1 Peter 3.15 who questions us regarding the hope that is in us. So it's about motivating and encouraging, strengthening the weaker or whatever it might be. And we need to challenge ourselves not to be lazy. Avoid being lazy. You know, there are days we just want to be lazy, aren't there? There are times we just want to be lazy. And what I'm really talking about is avoiding doing things that we could and should do. Sometimes we'll catch ourselves saying, Someone should have done that, or someone should do that. Isn't that common? I think somebody ought to take care of that. Somebody ought to sweep up the floor. Somebody ought to carry out the trash. Somebody ought to pay the bills. Somebody ought to go and see that person. Somebody ought to tell him more about what they need to know. Someone ought to do that. Instead, we ought to be saying, I will do that. Rather than turning the blame game around, we ought to look to the Lord, not what should be done for us, but what we should be able to do for others. Sounds a little bit like a former president's speech, doesn't it? You've heard it many times, ask not. What can be done for you? He said what the country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. It's a powerful statement. I don't know exactly how they got that statement together for his address, but when John Kennedy gave that address, that line stuck, didn't it? It's a powerful line. And Jesus warned of hearing and not doing. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. You know the next line probably, don't you? 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He challenges us to hear and to do. So avoid being lazy, and that's what I mean by avoiding doing things that we could or should do. And make our fellowship with one another important. John 13 and verse 35, By this will all men know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. Let's not love from afar, let's love up close. Take notice of the church in its earliest days. You see them spending time with one another, engaging with one another, worshiping together, eating together, whatever they could find to do. Yes, they had businesses. Yes, they had lives. Yes, they had occupying things in their lives that they needed to do. They weren't together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but they found opportunities to be a part of one another's lives, to engage in one another's lives, and make that fellowship with one another, whether it's the fellowship of worship or sitting down and eating a hot dog together. That fellowship became important to them. I don't think they ate hot dogs, though. Just wondered if you were still with me. We need a healthy life. And the fullness of life is shared, that is shared within Christians will always interact in the healthiest of ways when we make fellowship important. And don't, don't allow, don't allow that cliquish, that party spirit. I don't mean a celebrating party. I'm talking, you know what I mean, but that segregating party spirit to become a part of our lives. Paul spent some time in that first Corinthian letter talking to them, didn't he? He says, you know, you're divided over this guy, this guy, this guy, even over me. Who are we? We're nobody. Christ is everything. Don't take in a part in a cliquish spirit. Personalities and beliefs cannot be based on who said it. They can be based on what was said. But when we develop that separative, that cliquish spirit, we breed cynicism that makes it difficult to trust anyone rather than a unified sharing with one another. So let me, let me share with you just a few more thoughts and then we'll be done. For as we grasp and hold the unity of the spirit, it's going to involve some very important things in our lives. It's going to involve an intense love for the message of the gospel. Just because we've heard it before doesn't mean it should have any less impact upon our hearts and our minds. An intense love for that message of the gospel. Paul said, said I didn't know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. An intense love for the message. Secondly, we need an ever-growing knowledge of God's Word his revealed word, that enduring, everlasting word. We need an intense knowledge of it. We beg and we plead and we challenge ourselves to be reading and loving his word, drawing upon it. Every now and then I think we need to go back and read the 119th Psalm, the longest psalm. As it breaks down to all its sections, every section basically says this, Lord, I love your word. It's my guide. When we take God's Word as our guide, it shows we love God's Word in our lives. Thirdly, we need a sacrificial love for the family of God. I've mentioned verse 35 of John 13 a few minutes ago. Go back to verse 34. For Jesus says in that oft-quoted verse, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That part of it wasn't new. 
But the new part of it was, as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. And that's what he said. There are probably a few people you'd be willing to give up your life for out of love in this world. Think about your love for the church, for other Christians, for people you barely know, for people whose opinion is a little different than yours, from the ones who sit far across the auditorium that you really don't know. The challenge is to have a sacrificial love for the family of God and for its welfare, for its need. Too often it's more about ourselves than it is about a love for the family of God. I need my way. I need to be loved. Yes, I understand that. But you want to be loved? Start loving somebody else. Start loving the others as well. Let me give you, let me give you two more real quick. Number four is this. We need to consider an equality of all peoples in need of the gospel. We live in a time where there are divergent ideas. Yes, there will always be different races. We'll recognize the differences. We'll recognize the differences in cultures and heritages. They'll always be there. But when we make a difference in whether somebody can be my brother or sister in Christ, whether they need the gospel or don't need the gospel, we take it out of the realm of God's love and we become an entity unto ourselves and for ourselves and there it dies. An equality of all people in need of the gospel wherever we are, wherever we can touch, wherever we can be. And fifthly, we need to, as I said a while ago, be together. Be together in heart and be together as much as a people can be in this world and in this time. Whether it's times of worship and study or entertaining fellowship or whatever it might be. We need the pat on the back. We need the encouragement. We need the face-to-face. It was challenging in the recent, recent year to, or year and a half ago to begin to find that time that we weren't able to meet together. Yeah, we could get together on a Zoom class or something like that. That was hard, wasn't it? I think in a way it challenged us to want to be together even more. Let me offer to you before you get out of here today, make it a commitment to yourself to be with people, to be with these people as much as you can, and let them know how important they are to you. Yes, one nation, one nation under God, if you will. But as I said in the beginning of the lesson, there appears to be nothing closer to the heart of God than the unity of his people. As he is unified, they need to be unified. We need to be unified. He desired that we be one with one another and with him as Jesus desired that we be one with him and with the Father. In all the things we do, there will always be the heart of God and a sincere desire, I hope, to promote the unity of the Spirit in us and among us. Think about this. We've come halfway through a year. We begin the second half of a year. I was putting out the bulletin. I noticed number 26 the other day, and I thought, That's halfway through the year. We've let a half a year slip by us. What are we going to do with the other half of the year? What are we going to do with this time forward? As I said in the beginning, when those men signed that document that began the independence and the freedoms of this nation, they couldn't see fully what was ahead of them, but they knew they were at a point of beginning. As Jesus stressed to that woman by the well, it's a time of beginning. As he gave it to his disciples, it's a time of beginning. And as Paul wrote it here, we stand on the doorstep 
of the unity of the Spirit that will hold in the bond of peace. This morning we're going to sing that song of encouragement. Let it be a song of invitation. Perhaps there's someone who's considered the need to obey the gospel today. If you have, let us encourage you to take advantage of that. If you need to study more, we'll gladly study with you. We're thankful for those who've made that decision in the, in the recent days and would bless them. And we pray that we can be a blessing to your lives in that regard. But we pray that if there is a need today, that you take advantage of this opportunity. And if you do, if you need to, come while we stand and sing together.